Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, as I was getting ready to um, teach this passage and studying, I went to one of my favorite commentators. His name is Dale Bruner. And he said, this is the hardest passage to teach in the entire gospel of John. So this week, I made my bed every single day (laughs) in order to bring you the best I possibly could. So set your expectations accordingly. The festival was advertised as the best. The best in food, the best in entertainment, in art, in music, and in adventure. The year was 2017, the site was the Bahamas, and multiple promoters were talking about this event, musicians building it up, supermodels putting on their Facebook, Instagram pictures of them in the site, and everybody, after the event took place, everybody knew about it. Not because it was a wild success, but because it was an utter failure. The fire festival, which was billed as a glamorous party on a desert island, (laughs) turned out to be an absolute disaster. The fire festival was a dumpster fire. People showed up and they were not greeted with luxury, but they were greeted with makeshift tents and mattresses that had been soaked in the rain. They were given food. It wasn't exactly gourmet food. It was food with a piece of cheese on a few stale pieces of bread with a little bit of lettuce and tomato to go along on the side. Their luggage was taken from them, thrown in an unlit parking lot filled with dirt, eventually covered in mud, and all of the musicians pulled out last minute. So some people who had spent upwards of tens of thousands of dollars to go to the fire festival got burned big time. And I started to think about that picture and that picture of of having expectation and having hope in something, feeling like you're doing all the right things and getting to the destination and figuring out you bought a lie. And maybe some of you have been there before. Maybe you've been there with the way that you viewed money or relationships, or maybe you've thought like, if I do this thing and if I get to this place, then I will have arrived. And what you found out was that you were climbing a ladder that was leaning up against the wrong building. David G. Benner, a great author wrote this. He said, it's not so much that we tell lies as that we live them. And our lives, you guys, our lives are inundated with propaganda. They're inundated with political pundits, social algorithms, all designed to feed us an ideological meal that we're hungering for. We swim in the seas of disinformation. But it's not just that that lies are all around us. Lies are also inside of us because we often chase after lies because they go down easier than the truth. Anybody want to just add a, just a whisper, amen, to that? I, I watched this documentary recently on Johnny Manziel, the Texas A&M quarterback, great college quarterback who was drafted number 22 in the draft by the Cleveland Browns, signed an $8.5 million signing bonus. And he was, in the, in the documentary, he's sitting in his condo in Cleveland. And here's what he said. He said, I had every single thing that I could have ever wanted 
And when I got everything that I wanted, I think I was the most empty I've ever felt inside. He's, he's echoing the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity upon vanity, a chasing after the wind. I, I got there and I arrived at the fire festival. And I think a lot of us may feel that way about life. So here's my question today. What would it look like to walk a path that leads us to abundance and life and joy and good rather than landing us at the fire festival? Like what, would, what would it look like for us to be the kind of people who could discern I think, I'm, I think I'm buying a lie, and I don't think this is where it's going to end. After all, after all, the, the truth will set you, what? Free. Free. Amen to that. If you have a Bible, would you open with me to John chapter 8? Because we're picking up in a story we've been in over the last few weeks. If you were with us last week or the week before, you remember that Jesus is standing in a temple. He's standing in the Jewish temple and he points out some 75 foot tall candelabras that are dark because the Feast of Booze was over. And he says, I, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. And people started to push back on him. They're like, you, you, can't, you can't say that, Jesus. That's like saying that you're, that you're God. They were pushing back on him. And then in verse 30, it says that a, a few people, they started to believe. And so to those people, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Like remain in me, make your, make your home in me. And then you'll, you'll start to change from the inside out. And then you will know the truth. But remember, it's not just know it here. It's, it's know it here. You'll experience truth. Like from the inside out, you'll be able to say, oh, Jesus was right. And that truth will set you, what? Free. It will set you free. And see, this invitation and this challenge all revolved around people who believe becoming people who abide. And almost immediately, right after this invitation, there's these, these Jewish leaders. Anytime you read Jews in this chapter of John, I think you should read either Jewish leaders or maybe it's more fun for us and, and a little bit more convicting if we just say religious people. So the religious people said to him, we are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. True or false? False, absolutely false. How is it that you say you will become free? And see, here's the thing, here's the thing. You need to catch this. They could not come to terms with what Jesus was saying because of what they believed was already true about themselves. So I wonder if our conversation with Jesus, if it were to be in this moment, might be something like this. If we would say, well, Jesus, how can you say that you will become free? We, we are, we're already Christians. We, we've been baptized. We memorized the creeds. In fact, we just sang one and I can sing it by heart. Or Jesus, we are already your followers. We know the truth. And I think Jesus looks back at these religious leaders and he says, in a physical sense, you are Abraham's descendants, but in a spiritual sense, you couldn't be further from his way. Now, there's something that the Jewish leaders do get right in all this. They respond to Jesus, we are Abraham's what? Offspring. We're, we're Abraham's 
children. We're connected to Abraham. And here's the thing that they accidentally get right. It's that your spiritual source determines your quality of life. They're right about that. Who your father is spiritually is important. They were just misidentifying who their source actually was. <laughs> See, at the very beginning of our human story, God put Adam and Eve in a garden. He named the garden paradise. And he said, you can eat of any tree in this garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's at the very center of the garden. You eat of the rest of those trees and it will be akin to you coming to me to learn how to live. I will be your guide. I will be your God. You go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's in, in, in this sense, Adam and Eve saying back to God, thank you very much. We've got this, God. We're grateful for the breath and our lungs, but we think we know better than you how we are supposed to live. And Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, they chose to eat from the knowledge of tree of the tree of good and evil. And from that point forward, humanity has been making that same decision. And we have been experiencing death because of that. And so I think what Jesus might say back to these religious people is, well, actually, it's not Abraham who's your father. You just go back further. Adam and Eve, they're your parents. You're actually drawing from them because you're rejecting me. See, that's why the, connect, the, the, the question of connection with God has been so prominent and prevalent throughout the Gospel of John. In the very beginning of chapter 1, John writes and says, he, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Read chapter 8 of John's gospel. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, what, say it with me, church, children, children of God. So one of the main things that Jesus did when he came was he gave you and me the right to be born again to use John chapter three language, to be born of God, to be reconnected to God, alive to God, in conversation with God, in partnership with God, becoming like God. Contrary to popular belief, we all are not all God's children in a spiritual sense. We've gotta be remade or reborn God's children because we are all children of Adam and Eve. And receiving this new spiritual identity from Jesus is simple. He says, you've just got to receive him and believe in his name. Which begs the question, isn't that what the people just did in John chapter 8, verse 30? They believed in him. Sort of. They, they said they believed in him. How many of you would be honest enough to say there are times when we say we believe something, but then maybe our lives don't exactly reflect the fact that we actually believe it? Yeah. And I think that's what's going on in this text. Jesus is going to start pushing in to this conviction. You believe? He says, okay, then abide in me. Make your home in me. You believe? All right, then this is what your life is, is going to start to look like. And so I'm going to start us, admittedly, I'm going to start us on the top of the mountain. Just as like, this message is like, um, I'm going to take a helicopter and drop us down on the top of Mount Everest, okay? And then we're going to sort of walk back and explore the terrain along the way. This is the crescendo. This is where everything lands. These Jewish leaders, these religious people say, we are Abraham's offspring. We are Abraham's descendants. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Verse 44. 
You are of your father. Everybody say, ouch. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Your father is the devil. I don't know if this is lost on you. It may not be, but it's not exactly a compliment. (laughs) Jesus evidently didn't read how to win friends and influence people. He's saying, you're you're like a chip off the old block. Uh, The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Like father, like son, and your father is the devil. This is like... um, on the, on the Maury Provitt show, there was a, a point in time when the Maury Provitt show went like all in on paternity tests as like, this is the, what every show we're going to do is going to be like, it's going to be about whether or not this person is actually this child's father. And he like opens the seal and he pulls out the paper and he's like, it is 99.9% certain that you are not the father, right? And this is Jesus saying that to the religious leaders. It is 100% certain that God is not your father. Actually, the devil is. The devil is. And here's the deal, you guys. Um, We live in a tale of two kingdoms. Good and evil. Dark and light. Love and hate. We would love to just sort of live in that gray But the truth of the matter is not only that your spiritual source determines your quality of life, but your spiritual source is either of God or it is of the devil. There is no spiritual Switzerland. (laughs) Your source is either one or the other. And here's what I want to do over the next few minutes. I just want to dig into verse 44. And there's three things that I want you to see. Remember, this is, we're starting on the mountain. We're starting sort of with the scape of everywhere that Jesus is going to take us in this conversation over the next few moments. And in all of it, what he wants to do in, in your life and in mine and in the life of the first listeners of this conversation, he's fighting so that we might believe truth. Because it's so easy to live lies. Here's the first thing Jesus tells us. The devil is real. Would you just turn to the person next to you and say, the devil's real. I know in our modern world that seems sort of passe, but spiritual powers are very real. In the the movie, The Usual Suspects, there's this moment where a character named Kaiser Sose says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I believe that that is his main tactic in the West today also. To try to convince you that there's no such being as the devil. The devil is the Greek word. In the Greek, it's the word diabolos. And it comes from a a verbal word, a, a root word that means the slanderer or the accuser. And I want you to think of it more as like a title rather than a name. Jesus is describing what this being does what this being does. And look at what he does. Verse 44, verse 44. He was a, what? Murderer from the beginning. So there is a very real spiritual being who is described as the devil and his goal 
is to murder, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I love the way that John Mark Homer put it in his great book, Live No Lies, when he said this, Jesus's anthem is on earth as it is in heaven. The devil's anthem is on earth as it is in hell. And wherever he sees life in your life, he wants to stamp it out. Wherever he sees light or goodness or love or unity, he comes to attack it because he hates your flourishing. He hates you. And he wants to take you down. He is anti-life, pro-death, pro-hate, pro-chaos. He's a murderer from the beginning. Just go back and start reading in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and you'll see. Third, third, Jesus reveals what the devil's main tactic is. He says this, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the devil's main goal is destruction and his main tactic is lies. His main goal is destruction and death. His main tactic is lies. And of course, I think of Buddy the Elf in Elf saying, you sit on a throne of lies. I apologize for not having the picture up. That one's on me, okay? (laughs) When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. It's just simply who he is. So here's the deal, you guys. We often think of spiritual warfare as something that's like um, otherworldly or ethereal or, or, or like doing battle in the spiritual realm and it gets weird and there is a, spiritual, a kind of spiritual warfare that goes there. But did you know that spiritual warfare is the fight to believe what's true instead of getting enveloped in what's lies, what's false? Spiritual warfare is the battle to believe that what Jesus said is actually true. And I think, man, we haven't, we haven't progressed beyond this. You know that, right? Like we still live in a world that's inviting us to go to the fire festival every single day. To believe lies about sexuality, about success, about power, about beauty, about happiness. Listen, if the devil can make truth seem like lies and lies seem like truth, then he has won. And what we need to know, what we need to know, especially today, because I, I'm, I mean, I can just sort of sense that, like maybe there's a bit of a, whoa, Paulson, this is a heavy one. What, what, what we need to know today is that the truth hurts before it heals. And it's hard to name the lies that we live in part because we, we've chosen to live them. They, they, they taste good to us. They feel good to us. They seem like they're going to offer life. But what Jesus would say to us today is not to wound us, but it's actually to heal us. Same thing he was doing back in the conversation a few thousand years ago with the religious people then. So if it's true that our spiritual source shapes our quality of life every single day, how do we really know if we are children of God? Great question. So glad you asked it. Jesus is going to conduct a paternity test, okay, with the religious leaders of his time, and I think it applies to us as well. Listen to the way the conversation went. Jump back to verse 37 with me. 
I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. My word doesn't abide in you. You're not following me. You're not obeying me. I speak of what I've seen with my father. You do of what you have heard from your father. And remember, this is all building up to the mountaintop I dropped us down on. They don't know yet that he's going to call them children of the devil. And so they answered him, Abraham is our father. Thank you very much. Jesus said to them, if Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Jesus said, you bring up Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham. Wasn't Abraham the guy who God came to, spoke a word to, and called him to leave everything that he knew, to leave his family, to leave his inheritance, to trust God, to step out into the unknown, to believe that God would be faithful to deliver even when it seemed like there was no way forward, to offer an offering to God and hike up to the top of the mountain without an animal to offer, believing that God would be faithful. Wasn't Abraham the guy who believed God when God said, even though you have no kids, you will be the father of many nations? And isn't that what was credited to Abraham as righteousness? And Jesus goes, hmm, it doesn't seem to me like you reflect Abraham. And here's what they missed. Here's what they missed. They were not called to have faith in Abraham. They were called to have Abraham's faith. And I think that's a word for some of us. Like we've we've been mentored or discipled or we've been born into a family of, of people who are following Jesus ardently. And here's what I would say gently back to you. Do not buy the lie that you are called to have faith in them. They are human. They will let you down inevitably at some point. You are called to live with the same kind of faith that they had. And Jesus says to these religious people, if you would simply look at your lives, your actual lives, your real lives, you would be able to tell you're not living the way that Abraham lived. So here's the challenge for us to assess our actions, to assess our actions. Um, just be grateful that you came to this service and not last service because I was missing one end, one S on the end of the word assess last service. And everybody wrote down a swear word. That one, that's on me. Praise God for a second chance. Anybody want to say, praise Jesus for second chances? Amen. But I think what Jesus is saying here and what he's pointing out is something that's actually really challenging. It's really hard to step back from our lives far enough to look at our actions, our actual real lives, and assess, do they align with the way of Jesus? Because we lie to ourselves better than anybody else lies to us. That's why James would write in his letter to the churches, be doers of the word and not just hearers, because when you're hearers only, you what? Deceive yourselves. You deceive yourselves. There's, um, there's a, a, ver- a version in modern day Christianity, especially in evangelicalism, where um, we are ardent rejectors of behavioral modification. And um, to that, on a, to a large degree, I would say yes and amen. Like, you, you, don't, you, you 
receive from God, you don't earn from God. Yes and amen. But if we take a rejection of behavioral modification to mean that it doesn't matter how we live, and it doesn't matter what we do, and, and our actual behavior and our actual actions really don't matter to God, we are absolutely lying to ourselves. We are lying to ourselves. Yes and amen. We are human beings, not human doings. But our actions can serve as a powerful diagnosis to help us know what we really believe. Your actions do not cause you to become, but they reveal who you're becoming. Your actions do not cause you to become, but they do reveal who you're becoming. And when we say Jesus is Lord, what we are saying is that we want to live in his way with his heart. So let me just invite you to to just put your pen down for a moment and just do a mental exercise. What if somebody was following you around with a video camera throughout this whole week? They listened to what you said. They saw your actions. Would they be able to know you're a Jesus follower? Let's even go here. What if, what if they could know the thoughts in your mind? Like, like when you were in that line at the grocery store and somebody started busting out paper coupons and you were like, Anybody have thoughts for that person? (laughs) Or like in the parking lot and somebody cut you off? Or in a conversation with your spouse? Or in the way that you spend your money? Like would people see belief in your actions? See, see, here's the thing, you guys. Here's the thing. I, I don't say this in order to shame anyone. In fact, I think one of the lies the enemy would love for you to believe is that if you've messed up, then you are unworthy and then you are definitively not a child of God. I am not saying that when you look at your actions and you see something that arises that doesn't align with the way of Jesus, that you are definitively not a child of God. What I'm saying is name it as outside of the alignment with the way of Jesus. Ask God to forgive you and you know that he will because there is therefore right now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Confess it, repent of it, turn of it, and say, I'm going to make the next right decision in walking with Jesus. The enemy would love for you to be so shamed that you don't take any action to actually change. And he would love for you to believe that it's just the meditation of your heart that matters to him. Now, we, we can lie to ourselves pretty easily. And I think Jesus would want us to assess our actions today, just to hold them before him, have him shine a light and say, man, maybe some of this is out of alignment with your way. I'm going to lay it down. Forgive me. Help me move forward. Empower me. Here's the next part of the paternity test Jesus lays out. You're doing the works your father did. They say to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. See, they've been backed into a corner because Jesus just told them that Abraham wasn't their father. And they go, well, if Abraham isn't our father, then then who is? And I think this reference to born of sexual immorality is a jab at Jesus because there was the quote unquote rumor floating around that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. 
that Joseph wasn't his biological dad. And they go, oh yeah, let's talk about being born of sexual immorality, Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Everybody say, love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus is saying, if God were your father, which he's not, you would love me, which you do not. Which you do not. Their desire to kill Jesus might be the explicit antithesis of loving him. And Jesus says that love of him is the test of sonship. And so um, my, my, my challenge for us, for you, is to discern your affections. Discern your affections. If God is love and we are made in his image, then we are created to embody and emanate love just like him. Not only that, but I would say to you that your affections drive you way more than you're aware of. We are led by our loves. That's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, here's the greatest commandment. Love God. Love him with everything that you have and everything that you are. Every fiber of your being. Love God. And then he says, you didn't ask, but I'll give you the second greatest also. Love people. And all the rest of the law and the prophets, they hang on those. They're keystone habits. You do those and you will accomplish the entire law. In fact, Paul would write to the church in Corinth and he would say, if you have not love, you are nothing. Like you're growing smaller and smaller and smaller if you have not love. And I'm struck by the fact that the Jewish leaders or the religious people seem to be justifying their hatred. They're justifying their hatred because Jesus is questioning their orthodoxy. We believe this. This is the tradition that we were passed down. All of our systems are built on this. Our power is tied to this. Our social structure is tied to this. Our politics are tied to this. Jesus, if we give all of this up, what will we have left? And Jesus goes, me. That's what you'll have left. And my guess is, my hope is that none of you are trying to murder anyone. <laughs> Let it be, Lord. My guess is our hatred is a lot more subtle. A lot more like church approved, you know? It, it looks more like gossiping or slandering someone. It, it looks like, you know, talking about somebody behind their back or just judging someone. Or, or maybe just giving someone a cold shoulder or just launching a word that you know will wound. I think so many of us, we live in this same space. And, and here's the, the lie that the enemy would love to tell you to get you to the fire festival. Here's two lies I think he would love to tell you. I think he would love for you to justify your hatred and hide behind religious piety in order to do so. Well, we hate, but it's only because we're protecting something. We hate, but we're right. We hate, but they're wrong, and somebody's got to step up for it, and this is the way we do it. I think the second lie the enemy would love for us to believe is that um, the only love you really need is love for yourself, 
And if we can turn in and we start to turn in on ourselves over and over and over again to the point where we're unable to love God and unable to love others in the way that he created us to. Did you know that Satanists don't actually worship Satan? Satanism as a religion is a structure that is designed to help you worship you. That's what Satanism is all about. You bowing to you. So maybe today we would just step back and say, Jesus, help me discern the rhythms of my own heart. Jesus, stir my affection for you, my love for you. I want to love you with everything that I have and everything that I am. I know that there's areas of my life and places that I don't do that. Help me. Help me see my hatred. Help me see the way that I justify my hatred. Help me love you with everything that I have. Maybe that's your prayer today. It's mine. Here's the last of the paternity tests Jesus gives in this section. He says, why don't you understand what I say? I'll tell you why. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You just can't stand it. The truth is in your faith, face, but you can't receive it. Um, in verse, that's verse 43. Verse 44, he tells them they're children of the devil. That doesn't make him a lot of friends. And then he says, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. It's too hard for you to hear. Which one of you convicts me of sin? He goes, I'll wait. Oh, wait, if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever's of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not, what? Of God. You are not of God. It's not that they can't comprehend. It's that they can't believe. Their hearts are hard. Their ears are deaf to the words that Jesus is saying because they are exploding. His words are blowing up their world. And they would rather defend their world than surrender to his words. They'd rather protect what they have than actually hear him. So I think the challenge for us today, because we don't want to end up at the, the fire festival, right? I think the challenge for us today, the challenge for you and for me, is to gauge your affection, your attentiveness, to gauge your attentiveness to Jesus' voice. Are you open to his voice? Are you open to his correction? Um, my, my son has entered into a new season. He's a freshman now in high school, and um, he's entered into this, a season that I will affectionately refer to as the season of teepeeing houses, okay? Um, I don't know how many teepings he's been a part of, but um, our house has been teepeed three times in the last month, so I'm guessing he's been a part of a few. Okay? And every time our house has gotten teepeed, um, our dog Finley sleeps in a kennel in um, Kelly in my room. Every time we've gotten teepeed, he's gone crazy. Ruff, 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 just barking, right? Middle of the night. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Someone's on our property. Ruff, ruff, ruff. I'm doing my job. Ruff, ruff, ruff. This is why you have me. Ruff, ruff, ruff. And we're like, shut up, Finley. We're trying to sleep. Quiet, we're gonna give you away if you don't, like all sorts of empty threats, right? And he's like, could have sworn this is one of the reasons you got me, right? I'm protecting the perimeter. Ruff, 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 be quiet, right? And then we wake up the next morning and we're like, wow, we got teepeed. And Finley's like, I 
told you! Told you it was happening. If he could talk, I think he would say exactly what Jesus said to the religious people. You cannot bear to hear my bark. That's what he would say. You cannot bear to hear my words. And I think, I think Jesus' words are hard for us to hear too. I think sometimes we're like, just stop, just be quiet. Just let us have our thing. Let's just turn up the music. Let's just turn up the noise. Let's turn up the music. And, and maybe like, maybe our, our, our CNN or our Fox News is up too loud. Like we just can't hear the voice of Jesus. Or Mary, maybe even worse, like we've married the voice of Jesus to those things. So they represent his voice. Or maybe the TikTok videos we watch or the podcasts we listen to or the YouTube shorts that we just are, they are our rabbi that we are going to over and over and over again. And I wonder if Jesus said to us today, you cannot bear to hear my word because of all the other inputs and all the other things that you are giving absolute truth propositions to, you can't hear me. I, I wonder if we would look back at him in the exact same way that the religious leaders did and went, no, we're okay. We got it. I even wonder, you guys, I wonder like when we come into these doors, gather for worship, which is just such a, a beautiful and powerful thing, as we read scripture together, as we study scripture together, as we sing songs together, as we pray together, I wonder if we come with the assumption that we will be confronted with things that we are invited to surrender once again afresh at the feet of Jesus. Or do we walk into these doors expecting that our preconceived notions and our already held convictions will just be reinforced? See, church wasn't designed to be an echo chamber. It's supposed to be a refining fire. Like where we go, God, I'm holding on to some things that I think you want me to let go. So can you, can you bear his word? Are there things that you, that he might be inviting you to lay down? See, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the religious people, they failed these three tests. And so Jesus rendered a verdict against them. He said, they're children of the devil, and they can't hear the truth. And they respond to him, and they say in verse 48, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? You have a demon? Right? They go back to, you have a demon, man. You're crazy. You're crazy. And Jesus said, I don't have a demon. I honor my father, but you dishonor me. Yeah, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Like Jesus has just thrown down the gauntlet. He's taking it one step further. It's not just believe in me and then you will become my disciples and then you will know the truth experientially and that truth will set you free. Now he says what that freedom looks like. You will never see death. And we might go, well, Lord, how in the world is that possible? What does that actually mean? The author of Hebrews picks that up for us and he says, but we see him, Jesus, for a little while made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of, the, because of suffering death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
How do we become people who do not see, do not taste death? Well, Jesus saves us from death by dying in our place. He tastes death for us and then gives us his righteousness. Friends, this is our hope. This is redemption. This is good news for us. But you have to know it was disorienting for them, terrifying, and maybe even blasphemous ideology for the ears that were first hearing this. They're they're on their heels going, what do we do with this? What, What do we do with this? Because they are being asked to release everything and cling only to Jesus. So are you. So am I. Listen to the end of the passage. It says, so the Jews or the Jewish leaders said to him, now we know, now we're sure that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The answer to that is yes. Are you greater than the prophets who died? Answer to that. Yes, again. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, listen, I'm not making myself out to be anyone. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who made me out to be someone. It's my father who sent me. It's my father who glorifies me. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My father glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. So the one you claim to worship is the one glorifying me. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar just like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. (laughs) Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Abraham's faith was built on the conviction that this day would come and it is being fulfilled in your hearing and you're missing it. You're holding on to your religion, but you're missing truth. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was When Moses says to God, God, who should I say sent me? When I stand before the Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go, who should I say sent me? God says, tell him, I am. I am that I am that I am. And every single person in that audience goes, oh, no, he didn't. Such a clear tie to him saying, I'm God. I'm I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the hope that your soul longs for. I am truth personified, staring you in the face, longing to rescue you from sin and death 
and evil and lies. And the question is, will you let go of the lies that you're living so that you can step into the truth that I am declaring? The truth that would reconnect you with God, the truth that would make you children of God, the truth that would really set you free. Because what Jesus says is the infinite I am is our eternal hope. And he pries our fingers off of everything that we want to cling to, to build our lives upon. And he says, it's about me and only me. Will you build your life there? And if you've said yes, Will you look at your actions, your real life, to see if it aligns with that conviction? And will you look at your affections to see, does your heart beat for him, bleed for him, long for him, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water? And will you assess, God, can I actually hear you? Speaking truth, even when I don't agree. And see, friends, then would you confront the lies that you actually believe? Surrender to the God who says, I love you, I'm for you. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I long that you might step into good. Ditch the fire festival and come into the eternal banquet. Be restored to the God who came to redeem you, who's done everything needed for you to be reconciled with him. The invitation for you is to believe and then to become and to abide so that you would know his freedom. Let's pray. So Jesus, our prayer is today. That the belief that we say we have would be genuine and that where it's not, your light would shine on us not to condemn, not to judge, but to free, to usher us into life. We don't wanna live a lie. We long to live in the truth that sets us free. So great I am, our lives are yours. We are yours. And we pray that you would free us. Free us from the ways that we've said our behavior doesn't matter and uh, just making excuses it's somebody else's fault for blaming other people. Free us from justifying. Lord, free us from the way that we've harbored hatred in our hearts under the guise of religious piety. Free us, Lord, to love in the way that you've loved. And Lord, would you open our ears, open our hearts that we might hear your voice above all the others. Lord, when you bring conviction, we wanna hear you. Lord, when you bring a word of encouragement, we wanna hear you. Lord, when we're off track, we wanna hear you. When we're about to make a decision that leads to death, we wanna hear you. We wanna bear your word. So Lord, give us hearts that are tender to you ears that are open to you. May the noise of this world start to fade so that your glory, your name, your fame, and your voice may really find a home in us, we pray in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.